uh, one morning we arrived on the beach, there was two or three of us fishermen on the beach, and it was just breaking light and we looked down on the beach, only a few hundred yards out, and there was a deer stood there, motionless, looking at us. And I thought, oh, that's unusual. Anyway, um, it was too nervous to come to the shore. It was trapped between the river and uh, the shore, which was a distance of probably 300 yards. So it was probably about 150 yards from us. Well, as soon as I started my tractor, the deer ran into the river and my mate says, oh God, that's, it's going to drown, it's going to drown. I says, no, deers can swim. And it swam across the river, climbed out the other side, shot off like a racehorse. I've never seen a, an animal move as fast, really fast. And it galloped across and was headed towards Southport. And that was the last we saw of it. Paul Sumner, Lytham fisherman, been fishing since I left school, uh, which was 1977. In fact, I did a quite a lot of fishing before I left school as a hobby. And then when I left school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Spent a lot of time on the beaches, and in those days, people were catching shrimps on tractors. So I managed to get my hands on an old tractor and some old nets and gave it a go. Limited success, made a few quid, and then uh, when I was 18, I bought my first boat. Uh, the boat I bought wasn't a very seaworthy boat. It's amazing I'm still here today, but uh, it leaked. Anyway, I managed to repair it, and uh, at the age of 21, I took the plunge and got a larger boat, and uh, things have progressed over the years, um, but shrimping was the main thing then. I do three types of fishing now. I do a little bit of shrimping, bass fishing in the summer, and then cockles is a winter fishery. I do cockling, not just in the Ribble, in Morecambe Bay and uh, on the Wirral and Pilling Sands. So uh, that is a bit of a mobile industry is the cockling. So it, it depends where the beds are at the time, using quad bikes in, rather than boats the sea's so rough in the winter it's not really fit to be out in a boat uh, much safer to be on the sand on the quad bikes uh, going out onto the sands when the tide's out rocking um, a wooden implement called a jumbo on the sand which uh, liquidizes the sand it's like a plank of wood that's moved to and fro on the sand and it, it liquidizes the sand and the cockles come to the surface then they're gathered by a rake you rake them into uh, net bags. Very physical job, which is a good thing in many ways in the winter, it keeps you warm. Um, try, they're easier to gather when the sand's wet. So I generally fish three hours before low water, maybe an hour after, and then get back before the tide turns. Because um, in the Morecambe Bay, you don't want to be out there when the tide's coming back in. It's uh, miles and miles of sand that covers very quickly, so you don't want to be caught out there. Yeah, it's had a bit of bad press over the years, but uh, the fisheries have got a grip of it now and uh, we have a permit system, so uh, yeah, it's regulated. Uh, 
uh, shrimping uh, is done at low tide, we normally go out two hours before low tide, uh, fish over the low water period when the current stops and the, the shrimps are congregated in a smaller area. We'll probably fish for two hours and then return home. The shrimps are uh, hauled in, put into baskets, then you have to riddle them through a, like, a bit like a garden riddle uh, to let the small ones go back into the sea. Only the larger ones are retained, so the small ones live another day for the next year. Some people have tried fishing at high tide, but I've always found low tide the best when because the shrimps spread out over the estuary when the tide comes in. There's more chance of getting a good catch at low tide. The bass fishing is done uh, with fine gill nets. Um, they're anchored nets and they're set at low tide and um, hopefully intercept the fish as they come into the estuary with the flood tide. Um, we take boxes of polystyrene filled with ice with us because it's a summer. You, don't, you want to keep the fish in pristine condition. So as soon as the fish come out of the sea, they're straight into ice, chilled down. Um, so when we arrive back on the shore, they're in perfect condition. But in recent years, we've come under some strict um, restrictions from the fisheries to preserve stocks. Uh, the size of the bass that we're allowed to catch now has increased and uh, which will be a good thing in the long run because it gives each bass chance to um, reproduce twice and they're a very slow growing fish so if that works it should be good for the future. My produce, the shrimps and the fish, go to the local sh shop in Lytham Lanigans. Uh, it's a very well known fish and game shop. But the cockles, that's a different market altogether that, uh, that shellfish buyers from uh, South Wales or there's local, there's a local shellfish buyer that buys uh, the cockles as well and, and in the winter a lot of them are exported to Spain and France. So that's um, a different type of industry altogether. I would say it's about four miles across from Lytham to uh, Marsh Side, but from Southport Pier to St Anne's Pier, I think it's nearer six. So it's quite a wide mouth to the estuary. Generally, um, wearing uh, waterproof clothing, uh, different cocklings, usually Wellington's a bib and brace waterproof leggings uh, with a smock, a waterproof smock that goes over the top if it's raining but you tend to get a bit hot in those so they get very quickly taken off. From out in the boat, yeah similar sort of gear really but uh, in the winter you've got to get well wrapped up. Woolen jumpers, they're the best, keep you warm because even if they get damp they still retain your heat as wool, it's fantastic material. Um, in the summer a few layers less but <laughs> it still gets cold out there in the summer sometimes, it's a breeze. When I'm going out in the boat, I always think, well, I, I, I've, I've done quite a lot of felt walking, so it's, it's a bit like going up a, uh, one of the Lake District hills, get plenty of clothes on. You can always take them off because <laughs> it's always it's always five or ten degrees colder out at sea than it is on land. Uh, yeah, I tend to overdress. There's always a breeze out there, even on the hottest days. Very rare. It's, uh, you're in a T-shirt out at sea, very rare. In the summer when it's really hot, I tend to work at night. 
it's, uh, it's nice out there at one or two o'clock in the morning. The sun's coming up over the Pennines. It doesn't really go properly dark out there. You can see the blue t to the north. It only goes dark for about an hour and you can start to, you see the blue coming back in the northeast. And then, uh, yeah, I like doing that when it's really hot weather. But, uh, yeah, and, and the last few years I've uh, piloted a few ships into Preston as well. Miller's at Preston Marina asked me to be a pilot some couple of ships, about three, three or four ships. <clears throat> Preston's closed as a port, so they don't have any pilots. So uh, there was some transformers being brought in. I think it was for Padium and Penworth and Power Stations. So I was took out to sea in a fast inflatable rib, climbed up the pilot ladder, got aboard the ship and uh, guided the ship in. With the rib all silting up since the days it's not been dredged for years, uh, it had to be done on a big tide. And, uh, there's not much margin for error doing that. So uh, that was an experience. Mm. Piloted it in and back out again the next day. I do take some pals out in the boat and we go mackerel fishing with the rods. I'll some, you know, maybe two or three times a year I'll say, how do you fancy an angling trip? And uh, yeah, I do enjoy it. I've got all the tackle. I, I spent a lot of time angling when I was a kid. When I was at school, I used to go to North Pier when it when it did have its jetty. Uh, I used to have a huge long jetty. Did North Pier? Well, they all did, but they got washed away eventually. But North Pier jetty was the one. It was a, a listed jetty. It should have been replaced when it got damaged, but it wasn't. It was a Grade One listed jetty, I think. But, uh, we've lost lost that. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, I do I do take my pals out now and again. Well, the Ribble Estuary is uh, famous for the birds and the wildlife. Yeah, it's um, a real haven in the winter for the birds coming from the colder countries to spend the winter here. And then in the summer, you get the, the birds coming from Africa, the terns. They're always nice to see. They arrive mid-April onwards. They're here all summer. In the winter, there's lots of different types of waders, big, huge flocks of waders flying around. Yeah, they're uh, good and it's a very important place for bird life. The Ribble Estuary is a, a perfect funnel shape if you look at it from the sky or on a map. Uh, the tide rushes into the estuary and it, when it goes out it exposes all the mud flats where all these birds um, feed and congregate. Mm. There are things appearing that I've never seen before. Um, the last few years uh, we've had a lot of little egrets. Uh, I don't know if uh, they're like a small heron, white, beautiful birds. Uh, they were unheard of around here. Um, yeah, they're doing well. I'm assuming they've spread up from down south. Uh, loads of geese in the winter. There's actually some flying over now, uh, as we speak. Um, oh, eider ducks. There's always been eider ducks, but there's lots of eider ducks now. So the birds are thriving. They really are. There's a great team of beach cleaners here who, who go out every week uh, cleaning the beach of any plastic and plastic. I know plastic's been highlighted and it is a big problem, not just here throughout the world, um, but it's being addressed. 
Um, I'll give you an example. I went to the local fish and chip shop the other day and uh, I bought pie and chips and gravy in. I said, have you got a fork, please? He says, uh, yeah, but I'll have to charge you five pence. The wood. I says, oh, I don't mind paying that because they always used to give you a plastic fork. So, you know, that's a little example of how people have being more aware of the plastic problem. I've got so dependent on it. Everything you touch is made of plastic. But uh, yeah, but little little changes add up, don't they? If everybody thought like that. When I started, there was a lot of trawlers working out of Fleetwood, and there is no trawlers anymore. That that it's been turned into a yacht marina. So the grounds are, are getting rested. Uh, it's it. I used to see trawlers off here regularly, but in the last 15 years, I haven't seen a single trawler. So the grounds are getting rested uh, and there's, there's quite a lot of fish starting to show. Uh, the shrimps, they seem to have gone into decline. I don't know why, whether that's part of a natural cycle or not. It's very hard to prove. Uh, cockles, yeah, cockles, they come and go anyway, but uh, the cockle stocks are fairly healthy at the moment. Um, there's lots of small ones uh, ready for next year that I'm aware of. So yeah, that's looking good. And uh, there's quite a waiting list for the permits for the cockles. So there are young men coming into the job or trying to get into the job, but there's a, you know, it's quite a waiting list. So any anybody who wants to fancy going cockling, they better get the name down because it could be a few years before you'll get a permit, unfortunately. Two of my mates have got salmon licences for netting the salmon, but they've actually been stopped this year. Um, not sure what's going to happen about that, because there's, there's been six licences on this river uh, for years, as long as I can remember. There used to be two at Lytham, two at Freckleton, and I think it was two at Hesketh Bank. But that's been stopped. Now, whether they're going to compensate them or not, I don't know. They might do. The idea is to preserve stocks, but... Uh, I don't think it's the fishermen that were doing the damage. I think it's, there's a few things. The cormorants are, are eating a lot of the small salmon. I don't think they're getting out to sea. Then when they do come back from the sea, they've got to run the gauntlet of the seals. There's loads of seals off here at the moment. Uh, just swimming around the mouth of the estuary. And I'm sure the seals catch a lot more salmon than the, the, the six netsmen on this river. If the seals are doing well, there must be plenty of food for them. So there's an argument there. So, yeah. Nature has a way of keeping everything in check. If there wasn't enough food for them, I suppose they'd, they'd become ill. And, and uh, yeah. The estuary itself has changed a lot. It moves around. Um, the channels move, the sandbanks move. Um, Every now and again, you'll get a bit of a, a boat that's been wrecked or a bit of drama, you know, the lifeboat might go out and there'll be a yacht sunk and they sort of get a bit of a warning saying, hey, be careful, there's a, there's a yacht down there, don't go run into it tomorrow, you know, I mean, things like that. So, And we are fairly close and everybody seems to know each other. Uh, the lifeboat lads, they're great. Uh, in fact, I did 20 years on the lifeboat myself. So, yeah, we all keep in touch and... Uh, let us know what's going on. I've often reported boats in trouble as well to the Coast Guard when I've seen people in trouble and the lifeboat's gone out and pulled them in. So it's all, we're all part of a big team really.
people getting cut off by the tide. I've called the Coast Guard and I've seen people in danger. In fact, I got two lads in the boat one day. Um, they didn't realise they were actually surrounded by water, but uh, anyway, I, I got them in the boat and brought them back to Lytham. They were, I think they were from New Zealand. They were walking across the estuary to Blackpool. And uh, of course from Southport, when you look across to Blackpool, it doesn't look that far on a clear day and it looks flat, but the Ribble Channel is on the Lytham side. So by the time you get to the channel and realise there's a river, it's too late to go back because you've probably crossed five miles of sand. Anyway, I picked these lads up and called the Coast Guard and the Coast Guard met me at Lytham and took them away and gave them a bit of a lecturing, I think. But they were, they were nice lads, they just didn't know. I think they were students. And I was the last boat in that day, so they were lucky. I think it was before they had mobile phones. I don't think they had any phones on them. So yeah, uh, I'd have to think what would have happened to those two if I hadn't picked them up. I once brought a German Shepherd back in one night. I was out bass fishing and uh, it was just breaking daylight and uh, I looked on the Southport side of the river and I could just make out a large dog moving around. Anyway, I I turned the boat round and uh, the tide was coming in fast. It was a huge tide and the, the dog was cut off by the seas. So I went over and uh, I was a bit wary of this German Shepherd because I didn't know whether it was friendly or anyway, I spoke to it and I got out, I got it alongside the boat and uh, I managed to get it into the boat and uh, it was soft as anything and I brought it back. So the dog warden took it away and I, I don't really know whether it got reunited with its owner and I'm not sure what happened. But, uh, that was a an experience, but I I couldn't leave it to drown, so um, yeah, that stuck in my mind for a while. Uh, when I started, there was probably oh, ten full-time fishermen fishing at Lytham out of boats. A few part-timers, probably twelve, fourteen boats altogether. Now we're down to three. Um, all the older fellas have died. And there's only uh, the three of us are in our late fifties now. And there's one young lad coming through. Um, he might stick at it, I don't know. But yeah, it's a shame. Um, I don't know, it's the sort of, not, not everybody wants to do this sort of work now. It's very difficult being out there in the, it's nice in summer, but in the winter, it's cold, wet, windy, dark and uh, a lot of people think there's easier ways to make a living. I don't really know what the future holds. I'd like to hope somebody does carry it on. I don't come from a fishing family. I, I um, sort of, uh, it was just a hobby that got out of hand really and I <laughs> made a living out of it. It just, yeah, I just sort of fell into it accidentally. It's uh, something I've really enjoyed. It's not all good. You do have bad years when you think, Christ, what am I doing here? Not, you know, and things go wrong. Your boat engine might break down. And um, but I have nothing to complain about when I think back. I've done okay out of it, so yeah. yeah. But it, it, it can get a bit wearing, especially in the winter. when you, If there's no cockles and there's no shrimps, and you can think, oh, in January and February, you have no income at all. So um, yeah, you've got to be a bit self-disciplined. 
save a bit for a rainy day because it's a bit of a precarious occupation. There's nothing certain. But as one door closes, another one usually opens. Our Talking Rivers series of audio productions has been brought to you by Ribble Rivers Trust as part of the Ribble Life Together project. It celebrates the rich cultural, social and natural heritage of the Ribble catchment. Creating the series has been made possible by National Lottery Players through the Heritage Fund. For more episodes and information, visit ribblelifetogether.org.